Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming to the second episode of Youth Group. We're doing a three-part series on purity culture. Today, we are met again with Melody Rocheman, and we have a new guest, Christina Cannon. Uh, Christina, do you want to kick it off and uh, tell us your name, qualifications, and then define purity culture? Why do you deserve to be here? (laughs) Do I deserve to be here? (laughs) Why did Alex call you? (laughs) I have I been summoned. He called and you answered. Um, So I'm Christina Cannon. Um, I graduated from Southern Adventist University last year. Um, Qualifications, I suppose, are um, having grown up in kind of broader evangelical culture as a Seventh-day Adventist um, growing up. So that's that's kind of been an interesting thing to reflect on over the, the last couple of years, especially like going through Southern, like being in a very Adventist place for the first time and looking back on my time, like growing up in evangelical Christianity, like, wow, these are kind of different, like kind of the same in some ways and kind of different in some others. So qualifications, um, is that the last question? Define purity culture. Oh, define purity culture. So purity culture is this idea, um, especially kind of coming out out of like mainstream evangelical culture in um, in America in particular, that um, there's a kind of two very different roles um, for, hmm, let's see, there are very specific gender roles and also um, a women a woman's job in life is kind of to keep herself pure until marriage and like in like pure I guess being no sex essentially um, and then this is kind of important for men but in different ways and not quite the same ways which I think we'll probably talk about um, so that's essentially it is that like your job as a woman is to stay pure i.e. having not had sex until marriage I love how this concept just like came out of nowhere like 2010 ish I just remember like everything blew up as far as everyone was talking about mm-hmm. purity culture before that, I don't remember anyone in the church really, really focusing on it, Interesting. at least in my little corner of Adventism. Mm-hmm. Well, also like you were eight. Did- so <laughs> <laughs> Listen, okay. first you thought I was too old and now you think I'm too I young. I age shame. I think it's like, I can go into de- heavy detail and I will go into heavy detail. I'm like, oh, we're going to take it a lot farther back to 2010 today. Yes, exactly. On the History Channel. So do that. <laughs> uh, where did it come Melody, from? do you want to define purity yeah, culture? Um, to me, I would just say like completely 100% what you said, correct. And I would say like purity culture is a loosely connected collection of like theology, culture, uh, educational programming, all of this stuff that is like basically about power and control and teaching Christians, and they only ever say men and women, how to be good men and women. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all about surveilling people and seeing whether they're a good person or not based on what they do with their body. <laughs> That's what I would add. So it's accurate. Oof. <laughs> do you, you have know. anything to add or <laughs> no big <laughs> shallow topic i don't know in my in my childhood most of purity culture was broken down into what to wear and what not to wear that was the, really the big thing that was hammered for my my culture was um my parents were heavily involved in a hyper conservative branch of adventism um called restoration international and i will drop that name because i have no shame um it was the whole jean skirts down to your ankles, hiking boots, long sleeve t-shirts, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we would go to these just um, family camp meetings is what they were called, where it's camp meeting, but everybody does everything together. Um, and so it's this idea of if you have any skin showing, you're a whore. Um, and so that was kind of my background of it. Um, my definition was you hide your body. And that that's the foundation of purity culture. And then also the kind of commitment to your future spouse was a weird thing Mm -hmm. that was hammered into me um 
was, you know, being 10, 12 years old and getting this this chain with a key on it. And this is the key to your heart. And you're going to give this to the person that you marry on your wedding day. And this is because going... it can't be a ring because of Adventist ex- jewelry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I've got a purity brooch. <laughs> purity watch. <laughs> I don't have time dropping for you, like $10,000 on a watch because it's not a ring. <laughs> Modesty. This Rolex yeah. is because I'm better than you and your exactly. earrings from Claire's. <laughs> yep. And so like it was just the, the very outward performance mm. that was purity mm-hmm. culture for me growing Mm -hmm. up I definitely got a lot of that too and like saw a lot of that and also kind of like you mentioned like the idea of bodies are bad kind of Mm -hmm. like I I don't know if there's if I if this is accurate but I got the feeling kind of going to evangelical schools that like most of the focus was on um sort of women and what women were supposed to do whereas like the the messages I got in say like sabbath school or other like Adventist circles where you know say in sabbath school I remember that that um thought experiment kind of where like they passed around a rose and each person like took mm-hmm. off a petal of the rose and like at the end um like the, like the takeaway message is you know who would want this um, kind of metaphor for a person who's been like I guess either dated a lot of people or had sex with a lot of people or the chewed gum that was another yes, one the chewed gum was yes mine, yeah. the licked lollipop yep the... exactly <laughs> um so like I don't know I kind of for some reason and like I'm curious what your guys's experiences with this are if in Adventism you got the idea that like it was more women's bodies were bad or just all body all bodies are bad all sex is bad it was definitely just like my body is bad Mm -hmm. like i had a lot of shame just in myself and it it was not rooted just like in purity culture but just like Mm -hmm. fat phobia in general Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even just my adventist relatives it Mm -hmm. was conservative relatives that were catholic too like it's definitely a broad experience i feel Mm -hmm. like that isn't solely adventist or evangelical it just it comes from like a that traditional mindset but oh my gosh yeah it it was just like I learned to hate myself Mm -hmm. I uh I wrote an essay for a spectrum a while back about going to see the Barbie movie Mm -hmm. um and when I was a kid like it's so weird because like I inherited some of that modesty culture but I think I also inherited from my mom a kind of like not like other girls attitude Mm -hmm. of like oh it's better to be smart than pretty Mm -hmm. kind of thing um, and so, like, I remember because, like, I wanted Barbies so bad, like, because they were beautiful and they had the best clothes. My mom was, like, trying to keep me away from Barbies as long as she could, <laughs> both because, like, of the feminist side of it, that she wouldn't call herself a feminist, but, like, the kind of, like, oh, unrealistic expectations for women, but also because of the, like, well, they're kind of sexy and they have the long legs and the lips and the hair and everything. And I was just, like, so in love with Barbies. Bratz dolls. Oh, I, like I'm pre oh Bratz dolls, dude. Trashy Bratz dolls did not exist. <laughs> when i was no literally kid. my my mother <laughs> called brad's dolls trashy to my face mm-hmm. one time because i was playing with my friends and she was like no those are trashy people and we don't want to be associated <laughs> with that idea of 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 people and it's like why are they trashy yeah because they wear jewel tones and have big lips <laughs> like what inherently about them is trashy but I, yeah. I think like all of these ideas are reflecting this kind of this idea of that like so much more that so than for men you can tell the content of a woman's character mm-hmm. and her relationship to God and her intelligence and all these things based on how much makeup she's wearing mm-hmm. or what she's dressed in or whatever. Right. I think like my mom wanted me to be able to do all these things and like aspire a lot. She wanted me to like get an education and like she cared about the content of my mind and my character, which is not a bad thing. But I think I was raised on a dichotomy that you couldn't like mm-hmm. makeup and like glitter and yeah, all those things and also be intelligent. Like mm-hmm. it's like I had to distance myself 
from a certain kind of femininity while also needing to conform to a godly form of femininity. It's an impossible paradox, right? I love that a good dark lip just means woman's stupid. Like <laughs> I would say that like, like liking makeup and yeah. that type of like I, I love that you mentioned the dark lip because it feels like in the same way there's that chart of like skirt length mm-hmm. like uh-huh. it like how bright red lip, and how dark if yep. it's like I wear a really dark lip on purpose because I want to seem like one of those poisonous animals yeah. like to dudes I'm like do not. Like, if you are intimidated by this... Is my ahead. lipstick laced? You'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, the, the femme fatale with, the, like, the lipstick that, like, is poison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I just kind of grew up, like, a little misogynist because of that mentality of, mm-hmm. like, if I like girly things. Mm-hmm. Like, I genuinely did not like women to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Like, I didn't like mm-hmm. being a girl for the longest time. Like, obviously, I was attracted to them. But I, like, hated them at the same time. Hmm. I love that mental image of just little six-year-old Sophia running around making misogynistic I was a little, <laughs> I was a little monster. The little six-year-old stories I have of myself, I was evil. <laughs> I definitely like, felt that dichotomy, too. Like, mm-hmm. you can either be smart or pretty, which, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think if there's, like, anything in particular that enforced that. And I don't remember anything, really. But... Yeah. I think I think like there was this TikTok I saw recently that was so healing for me Mm because it was talking about how like first there was the I'm not like other girls phase Mm -hmm, and there was the backlash against that. And now Mm -hmm. it's like I'm exactly like other girls. Like I love pink. I love Barbie. Like Mm -hmm. I I love Taylor Swift. Like I'm happy about that. But like so much of that came not from a place of like hating other women, but because we would see all these stereotypes about girls and we would be like, well, I have a rich interior life. Like I'm thoughtful. I care about things. And so like, I guess I'm not like that if that's what other women are like, because patriarchy was telling us like, Mm -hmm. oh, girls only care about getting married and having Mm -hmm. a baby and whatever. Girls don't care about their careers. Girls aren't curious. Girls don't do STEM or whatever. Like Hmm. it's like 1950s idea of of women, which is so constructed and historical. Yeah. So after you age shamed me about my 2010 <laughs> thing uh where did it actually come from like how did this become such a massive american ideology that millions subscribe to when it really has no logical foundation whatsoever well you're the history major do you want to start us off <laughs> um so i guess well it is it goes back a little farther than what did we say 2008 2010 <laughs> i think slightly listen that's when i noticed that it was the roots popping are off. a little deeper that's than when that. the jonas brothers came <laughs> out with exactly. their exactly. <laughs> exactly that's when they took them off <laughs> oh. <laughs> um i mean i guess like the next i, I think probably the next the first like very recent iteration of it and i know like maybe you can talk about a little bit about how it goes back way farther than that but um it kind of uh like the term purity culture i think kind of came to use in the 90s um um there's like you know different groups floating around like true love waits um and a number of books coming out also into the early 2000s like um harris's i kiss dating goodbye or you mentioned dateable i think um and so there's all this like media surrounding the idea of well, yeah, true love waits, I guess, was kind of the central thesis of, you know, if you're, if anything you do, um, that's like kind of anything you do outside of marriage, like even dating someone is kind of training yourself to cheat on them is kind of the idea I also got a little bit of like, yeah, anything you do, physical contact or like even emotional closeness is just kind of taking away from the satisfaction, the fulfillment you'll have later in life. Um, so I think 90s was probably the first time that came to be. Um, and I think Adventism, I, I'm curious I bet it was a little bit isolated from this, like from this at the beginning, maybe. And then probably as the internet kind of came to be in wider use and people could like say, you know, Google an object lesson to use in Sabbath school, like wind up with a rose or something like that. Then it kind of seeped in. Um, and we also weren't kind of reading the as much, probably the, the bigger, more popular evangelical authors like LaHaye's and the LaHaye's and Dobson, Really quick so. to jump in the mm-hmm. like um, 
dating somebody mm-hmm. is like cheating on your future oh, future yeah. spouse mm-hmm. even emotional intimacy was right one that's was joshua up. harris was the and that comes okay. yeah exactly um my parents were huge i kiss dating goodbye fans oh, and yeah. the idea that like you can't even be close emotional friends mm-hmm. with someone that you could potentially have a crush mm-hmm. on like my parents made me break off oh, my man. best friendship in high school because they thought that i had a crush on this girl mm-hmm. and like that just isolation is really weird mm-hmm. um but yeah re- even yeah. goes past the physical intimacy right side exactly of it. which is such a uh, an interesting idea i mm-hmm. guess i don't know but um do you want to talk about how like i mean like I said it, it came to be kind of more popular in the 90s um but like yeah where did it come from before that right so i think that like this kind of 90s iteration is the one we think about because it's this moment where we get mm-hmm. these like books right. and we get the language and like that language yeah. is still the language that we think about. Like we are not here to give you an entire history mm-hmm. of like the church and sex. Um, I there are some want that history. Well, if yeah. you do, yeah, honest, yeah, that's what recommendation we're here for. Time. So <laughs> there are two fantastic books that I would totally recommend checking out. One is Shameless by Nadia Boltzweber, where she kind of looks at like this very large scale like history of the development of traditional Christian sexual ethics and like what might it look like to develop a progressive Christian ethic of sexuality that is still distinctly Christian, but is not this kind of one that we've inherited that's been so toxic and damaging. The other book I would super recommend is by a scholar named Sarah Mosliner. It's called Virgin Nation. So basically, like we can... There's no one story of history, right? Like you can start here or you can start there, but there's always going to be backstory to the story. Wherever you start, you're going to have to go back farther. Like we can start with Augustine getting a boner at the public baths in Rome and then being so embarrassed about it that he like changes church theology forever one of this is not is that historical oh my gosh yeah (laughs) so saint augustine the father of memoir who wrote the confessions like the first memoir really um and definitely like the big spiritual memoir we look to um he went to the public baths as a teenager and he got a public boner and he was really embarrassed about it. And we know this because he wrote it down and he developed a theology of the fall. And one of his theologies of the fall was that in the Garden of Eden, Adam could control when and where he got a boner. Whereas after the Garden of Eden, he couldn't. (laughs) So like, like that's part of it. Like we are dealing- embarrassing public boner situations, (laughs) but never like forever altering. I'm not gonna name drop, but there is a guy in my class where it would happen like in choir class like for some reason like i'm not gonna name this man will pop a boner every single morning and it wasn't like it it, it, it's called a non-apparent reason boner a nart a nart that's what they're called yeah and it's like that's so like him and augustine that meme with like the class the fist class being like finding a theological reason this man is not augustine (laughs) didn't go to high school with augustine like nadia boltz weber right is like augustine is one of the reasons that we have this anxiety around sexuality and then like i know we have been talking about Mm -hmm. um how another one of those big tent post kind of moments where stuff shifts is uh kind of with the reformation Mm -hmm. which changes so much and there's this book don't tell me luther got a public boner too oh no i mean luther Luther left being a monk to marry a nun which is very cash money of him the anti-semitism less so what's the book we were Um, talking about see the making biblical womanhood that one okay by By uh, no this one bar they are friends yes. and they always okay. appear. Beth Allison yes. Barr is a historian who wrote this book, uh, the, making, the Making of Biblical Womanhood, about this idea that like biblical womanhood is, act, 
like people act like it's this thing that's always existed, but it's actually been constructed. And remind me, like, what is it that she says about that transition from the Middle Ages and their view of women to like the run- mm-hmm. Reformation? I know she talks about um, like when we, you know, we reference the verses of Paul, like today, you know, talking about like women's silence in the church. Like that was not really a thing anyone emphasized in the Middle Ages, if I'm correct. Um, and also there was like women had a good degree of agency or at least more than we like to think they did. Um, like life as a nun kind of afforded them the ability to travel or like speak publicly. There are a number of like um, of women preachers, essentially, I guess. I, I don't think ordination was a thing um, for for them. Mm-hmm. But they were still at that time. But they were, like, spiritual they had influences. Power. Yes. Yeah. Very, like Hildegard like, von well Bingen exactly. is like, like a, a total awesome yeah. person, like mm-hmm. the mother of German botany, mm-hmm. like spoke tons but of like, languages. But then the nunneries so, close and women only have the option to be wives and mothers. Mm-hmm, right. Which is interesting because we think of like, I don't know, if, if we have this kind of uh, hierarchical view of like Protestantism, like evolving and going beyond Catholic, like middle age Catholicism, that was or not really how it worked for women. I mean, even the Episcopal Church was founded specifically to have control over women because the of... The Church or the Anglican Church? Anglican Church. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Um, just so that he could divorce someone, you know, like <laughs> I think, an entire branch of... of I feel I like that's something that. I would do if I was a man. Oh, 100%. power back then. Like, that's <laughs> so Sophia-coded. It's like brain. on a level like, of one to, like, let the entire church through a theological schism just to <laughs> leave you. How bad was your breakup? Exactly. <laughs> I was trying to think, though, like even before all of that, like the genesis of like keep your pants on or keep your robes on type of (laughs) (laughs) mentality. And I was like thinking I was like, it makes sense really, really far back. Right. Because back in the Stone Age era, they were like, oh, if you if you had a consequence physically, that means that you like did something wrong Mm -hmm. and God is punishing you. Mm -hmm. Right. So they probably thought like, oh, I uh, have like this disease, which is like probably gonorrhea or something, right? And they're like, oh, it's directed to that. God's mad at me. Therefore, like I should only have sex with one person. So like, how did it get from like that very formula-like ideal into what it Mm -hmm. is now where it's like this deep-rooted shame? Like I want to know how, take it all the way back. Okay, so like, (laughs) I think think that like, I like resist. I want to resist the idea that there's one unified narrative of history. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that mm-hmm. is not true. Like mm-hmm. history is a collection of stuff that happened, and we tell mm-hmm. stories about mm-hmm. it, right? Um, and one story that I think is interesting and helpful is thinking about the relationship between race, virtue, and property. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of like we were talking about the the Renaissance and like Henry VIII and stuff like that. In that kind of court, the king could have as many mistresses as he want. They lived in court. They had their own houses. Everyone knew this was happening. He's fathering tons of kids. But the queen must not have sex with anyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's because we need to be able to guarantee that the queen's babies are the king's Mm -hmm. and that whoever she gives birth to is going to inherit, right? So like for a long time in history, the people who had to care the most about sexual purity were people who had property. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't have property to inherit, it doesn't matter as much like who your children are going to be. I feel like it's a pretty justifiable reason for purity culture if your child gets to become king. Yeah, like like it makes sense (laughs) on a pragmatic level. Like I'm not saying I could The poorer you are, the more you can like F around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is what you're saying. No, genuinely. The status thing, probably. <laughs> like, Purity is associated with some sort of status, probably. Like, right? it's about control and about property, mm-hmm. right? So, like, uh, in her book, Virgin Nation, Sarah Mosliner uh, argues that you can trace mer- 
modern purity culture to the South prior to the Civil War. <laughs> so the South is like explicitly supposed to be Christian. There's all of these schisms we see over the question of abolitionism in major American Protestant um, denominations in the 1800s, right? So like the Southern Baptist Church was officially like formed to protect slavery. Like they schismed with the existing Baptist Church because they were like, oh, we need to enslave people. It's incredibly important to us. Which is funny because because most black Baptists in the South are Southern Baptists. It's wild to me. Currently. I'm like, mm, yeah. maybe there's a lot of denominations out there and some of them were not founded on owning people, right? <laughs> <laughs> like just, yeah, I would shop it's around a, a little bit more. <laughs> um, but it's, there's this, she makes this argument, Mosliner makes this argument that if you are looking for a way to perform virtue mm-hmm. and you own people, a lot of the like, don't do violence and don't, like own people and stuff from the Bible is gone. So like, what do you base virtue around while also making sure that your white daughters are not having sex with How do you maintain black control? men, yeah. right? Because you don't want the children inheriting your plantation. Mm-hmm. Like, again, this is the same thing as Henry VIII. Like, we know that people like, you know, Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. like was raping a black woman and had children with them. But like, we have to protect the purity while the also arguing purity. against slavery officially. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have to protect the racial purity of white women, mm-hmm. right? And so you develop this like cultural idea, this like, oh, being a good woman, being a good Christian is protecting your body and being pure. And that racial purity element is very much there under the moral purity. Mm-hmm. And then this is like absolutely compressing 100 years of American <laughs> history, but that kind of mutates and evolves. And we see that in like, the muscular Christianity and the founding Mm -hmm. of the YMCA at the turn of the century. We see that in this kind of like family values, capitalism versus communism thing in the 1950s. And it all kind of comes to a head, I think, in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. So I understand the concept of interracial marriages were not legal. And so Mm -hmm. that kind of um, if you can't have sex outside of marriage, then you can't have sex with with a black man, period, Mm -hmm. at all. How did that transition to you can't have sex outside of marriage with anyone. Like, where did that come from? How did it transition to white people, too? Hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of... I don't think this is, like, a direct... Um, I mean, I, I think it's just kind of like a theme, sort of a cloud of a theme surrounding this is kind of like you're getting at is there's there's politic, there's a politics of respectability, kind of, mm-hmm. of, like, you know, the, the more status you want to show off, like, the less you do this thing, and then that probably just kind of, like, creeps a little bit into, like it being more of a all-encompassing thing um like you're talking about this all kind of like culminates in like the 70s and 80s and there are more books being written and then like in the 90s like purity culture becomes more of the thing as we know it um and there's also a lot of uh i think one of the things kind of cementing recent purity culture is the merchandise around it, also, mm. like the money people are making off the idea of virginity it's um, lucrative it is like there's lots not of, only it's does a sex sell industry. but not mm-hmm. sex also sells well yeah. it's like I, I it's so funny because you grow up hearing like oh the world thinks about sex all the time no one is thinking about sex yeah. more than evangelical it's Christians. like the this podcast has been done on the other side of the spectrum more times mm-hmm. than i ever <laughs> than i can count like it's talked about all the time like the yoga pants thing everyone remember uh, the yoga oh my pants god thing? Yeah. My, my my wife doesn't wear yoga pants in public because then the men are going to be looking at her body and, and then the whole Wait, like <laughs> and then the whole bell-bottom yoga pants thing started where apparently those were okay but not tight at your ankles I, it was the ankle the problem we where are the really hell did that come from 
<laughs> is it like a foot fetish thing? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, like, so like the concept of biblical marriage, like mm -hmm. biblical womanhood is one of these things where like we reconstruct and then we like pretend it's always mm -hmm. been that way, right? Like you want to erase any kind of uh, distinction, difference, disagreement in the archive. Mm -hmm. So you can tell a story where your story has always been true. And you can be like, to be a faithful Christian has always meant this. Marriage has always looked like this. Like womanhood has always looked like that. Um, I do think a really pivotal moment comes in the 1970s with the rise of the feminist movement. There's this fantastic show. It's on Hulu uh, in Canada. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's called Mrs. America. It stars Kate Blanchett. She's terrifying in it. Yes. Um, and it's about this kind of battle between, on one side, the second wave feminist movement trying to pass the Equal Rights Amendment in the States, and then Phyllis Schlafly, who was this uh, woman, she was conservative Catholic, and she was an expert on nuclear policy, but she couldn't get people to take her seriously as a woman about nuclear policy. So she decided to basically build an empire super cynically on fighting the Equal Rights Amendment. I'm so gay. That's so hot. <laughs> oh, see, I, th I think that Kate Blanchett is hot and evil and like Thor Ragnarok. The greatest, like most amazing thing about this show is that she is not hot in it. It's incredible, horrifying, but she's so good. Anyway, but like it becomes this movement that's built on a couple of things. One is like a kind of, um, I think, push for the right wing mm -hmm. of the party, right, yeah. to get power. Right. You see this like shift from like the Nixon administration to Reagan mm -hmm. being way more right wing. Right. But then the other thing is that segregation, the battle for segregation culturally is kind of lost, right? Mm -hmm. So like those Southern Baptists, all those Christian voters are voting like to keep segregation, like um, Brown v. Board of Education mm -hmm. and stuff comes in. And a lot of these Christian high schools and universities are founded so they can keep segregating. Bob Jones University did not allow interracial dating on campus until the year, I think it was 2000. Well, when my Ooh. parents got married interracial marriage was still illegal um, in the state of Alabama. Mm -hmm. It wasn't enforced, but in 1989, their marriage technically was not legitimate. And like, so there's this like very like, again, with the, like the Civil War, like you cannot talk about this without talking right. about the racist history of American evangelicalism. But there's this like, so Roe v. Wade happens, right? Uh, R.I.P. And <laughs> there's this moment several years after this is they won't tell you the story. They've changed the story to be like, we have always believed this. Prior to this point, evangelicals are pretty divided on questions of abortion and where life begins, right? Like there's an official uh, issue of Christianity Today where they talk about like, actually, theologians have a lot of different things. And then there's a single phone call where they say, what's our wedge issue going to be? It can't be segregation anymore. We're losing that fight. And someone says, what about abortion? And someone says, okay. And then the Catholics, Phyllis Schlafly and stuff, they get in on it and they start like building this coalition to get power and abortion becomes this thing. And if you're going to make abortion the moral like center of your political movement, then you need an apparatus that leads to the point that where you don't want abortion. That is the craziest collab mm -hmm. ever. Right? I love ever. that it, that one story just like <laughs> yeah. proves the Adventist superstition of it's always the Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> At least the Catholics were like ethically consistent in yep. their like politics. The evangelicals were just like, well, whatever will get us the votes. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can elect Trump as a family values right. candidate. Mm -hmm. It's all about power. And mm -hmm. I think that like bodily control also shifted from the racial situation to the queer situation uh, mm. because that's it's one of the things that I've noticed the most with coming out ministries and just gets under my skin the most is um, 
I don't necessarily have a problem laying this out on the podcast because I feel like he's laid it out himself multiple times. Uh, Michael Carducci's approach to his own story is this idea of when he was living the gay lifestyle. Um, his biggest issue with that was that he was hoeing around um, and just like the worry of HIV and other STDs and this like constant fear from the hoeing around like the that kind of stigma and shame moved it shifted from the racial perspective to the queer perspective and it's still being used because if you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage then queer people couldn't get married you can't have sex with queer people it solves so many issues i absolutely think you can't talk about this without talking about the aids epidemic Mm -hmm. Hmm. there's a there's a good book that hits on a lot of this that we were talking about a little bit too of um jesus and john wayne wayne which is phenomenal. Kristen. <laughs> I quote her in everything all the time. I'm obsessed with her. Keep going. <laughs> Great. Um, which, and I think it's interesting also to think about, okay, so we've had like this kind of, we, we've had like the, the ideal of American masculinity, which also kind of parallels a lot of this. Like they're, you know, very- Cowboy, exactly. individualistic, rugged, mm-hmm. white. Right. Uh-huh. Military. Broke my mountain. Very separate gender roles, very kind of defined. Um and so that kind of keeps tracking along throughout the the um, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and then I don't. And then at some point, purity culture I think is takes some sort of a twist. And I think this is very recent. And just kind of playing with this idea, I wonder if it's. It, it seems like it's on the decline. I don't know. Has anyone heard about it a lot recently, or maybe we're just in different circles than we grew up in, or I don't know. Well, I was telling like Ari, it was weird like growing up in a purity culture world because mm-hmm. I was always confronted with like people opposing it all the time because mm-hmm. since we grew up on the internet mm-hmm. like i was uh, telling her when you know like girl defined is getting pushed onto me mm-hmm. i'm immediately able to watch a cody co video that's like this is stupid and mm-hmm. this is also a harmful message right. at the same and time even and still it, being made fun of with the tiktok sounds too yeah exactly <laughs> and it when you you had funny people like commenting on it it kind of removed the power of purity culture mm-hmm. so even though i was dealing with it still like in my home life and at church and in my mm-hmm. inner circle like i was still being validated in my feelings pushback yeah because i had the community of the internet mm-hmm. and again it goes back to that to the isolation purity culture yeah. isolates and having mm-hmm. access and then to, gaslights mm-hmm. exactly and then having access to the been, different perspectives right. on the internet makes you feel like you're not the only one and mm-hmm. and it helps you to be able to think more freely when you don't feel like you're just so special and you're thinking so weirdly. Mm-hmm. And I think like so I was teasing you earlier the pre-2010 thing. But like I'm seven, We're just gonna eight keep years circling older. Back to that. <laughs> I'm the millennial here and you all are Gen Z. And like one of the big differences is like I did not grow like I grew up with like early internet, but you guys mm-hmm. grew up with like social media as like a huge component of your well not you because you grew up like Amish basically, right? S- socially but- <laughs> millennial. <laughs> but like I I grew like in the nineties you get this mainstreaming of mm-hmm. purity culture, right? Like right. Bill Clinton is a Democrat president and the True Love Waits movement like goes to Washington and like signs their purity pledges and puts them on the lawn. And he's like, this is great. Like the federal government is giving funding to abstinence only sex education in part, I think, because of that AIDS epidemic and this anxiety around STIs and teen pregnancy and like social decline and drugs and all this stuff. And then you get like the Bush presidency happens and 9-11 happens and that like Matt, like mm-hmm. uh, Demay talks about yeah. that. Like, that, Also, like, can we talk about the yeah. irony that this happened during the Clinton administration? I know. Clint- <laughs> Bill Clinton's like, don't have ex- like extramarital sex. Don't do it. And we're like, 
Okay. <laughs> um, but the dress is in the Smithsonian. Right. Isn't that cool? I want to see it. That That's it. Cool. That's my whole comment. Like, I just really want to see it. Like I'm not adding else. anything to the conversation <laughs> other than I want to see Monica Lewinsky's dress. <laughs> but I mean, like, that's actually really interesting because that does go to the idea of, like, national record keeping and the ways that, like... Yeah, and how it's always put on the woman. Oh, yeah. Like, it, that... Or Monica Lewinsky. She was... So a, long. She was 23 when that whole he thing He was the happened. most powerful person in the world. Yeah. And she age. was, like, barely yeah, out of university and we blamed her. And they <sighs> crucified her. And it's always the woman's fault that is so significant bringing it back to trump Mm -hmm. because like evangelicals whole thing was like bill clinton's a dirty dude Mm -hmm. and like he's bad and family values and then you bring in george bush and we're all american and like 9-11 happens and it's all about this and it becomes this like era of cultural conservatism and family values we were talking earlier about um like the disney channel Uh yeah and like upholding the american family yeah like uh hillary duff is wearing a purity ring uh britney spears is talking about saving sex for marriage uh the jonas brothers are all wearing purity rings like justin bieber's got a purity miley ring. cyrus had her face yeah it's so like, weird like why are kids on the disney channel having to be like i'm not sexually active and like Haley kyoko being in the closet on the disney channel and then coming. oh yeah i mean the closet was clear it was, it was <laughs> a glass closet absolutely. that girl was always gay <laughs> But, like, it's very much this moment where, like, it is totally normalized to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And then I think that, like, like so much changed during the Obama presidency. There was so much activist work and so many things that changed so quickly. Like, Mm -hmm. the way that, like, American attitudes changed towards gay marriage between 2009 and 2015 is incredible. But, like, one of those things is we had this kind of new archive like we were talking um in the first episode about personal stories and how like certain kinds of stories are legitimized Mm -hmm. and i think that like the importance of record keeping is having more than one narrative of things Mm -hmm. right and it's what you said like Mm -hmm. we you had like girl defined videos but you also had someone speaking back right Uh uh-huh which is kind of an interesting like defining feature of this age because it's also kind of what like let the purity movement out though like it's what let it bleed into Adventism also was kind of like like you said maybe access to internet and like um, Adventist being a little more comfortable. The ABC carried these books. um, Really? That's where my mom got beautiful was at the ABC. Interesting. Okay. But um, I'm curious like what uh, like purity culture is looking like and what's going what it's going to look like in like the the years following at least the the first we hope and only uh, Trump presidency. Um um, it seems like the moral majority is kind of shaken up. Like it can't really reckon with the fact that it's following it. It was well and is following a president. Like again, moral majority in quotes. Um, that has done a lot of the things that it's warned against for so many years. Um, so I don't know. Like I'm curious to see what that continues to look like, especially with all of those like Disney Channel glass right. closets shattering mm-hmm. and all of those major figures. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. I, I feel like it is moving a step in the right direction. I'm able to like see it kind of i have a younger brother and he's still in Mm -hmm. high school and it's so interesting how like he navigates like these traditional things that are being Mm -hmm. that were put onto both Mm -hmm. of us just like but he has more even more access to the internet than i did and i had a crazy amount of access Mm -hmm. to the internet Mm -hmm. so i feel like it is moving in the right direction where like teens are able to have more bodily autonomy and like control over themselves and uh, like be able to investigate for themselves and come to a conclusion themselves. I think also kind of the goalposts have shifted. If we're talking about like how evangelicals use rhetoric to, mm-hmm. to make power, right? Like 
and you want to talk about like post Trump, like I think that true love waits is over. And now it's all about critical race theory and gender mm-hmm. ideology. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that rhetoric that was used in the 80s and 90s that was all about anxieties around gender and gender roles and stuff around like mostly gay men has shifted to be about trans mm-hmm. people. And now I, it's like, are you one of those pronouns people? Pronoun people. I'm like, did no one pay attention in language arts in <laughs> elementary school? Like it's a part of speech. You used four of them in that sentence. Like, but I, I think that like, I would argue that one of the core like reasons why there's so much homophobia in the church and why there's so much transphobia now in the church is that the church as a, you know, multi-thousand year historical thing has a vested interest in control and power and patriarchal control. And if people's gender is fluid or mutable or egalitarian even, like queerness calls into question that kind mm-hmm. of passed down from God on high, mm-hmm. never changing understanding of marriage and gender Queer and sexuality. And that is so threatening if you believe that the like core tenet of Christianity is heteronormativity. I don't even know if it has to do with queerness at all, really, because I think the, we mentioned those six clopper verses in episode one. Um, and I mean, I've done the work. I've broken them mm-hmm. down. And it I mean, <laughs> the word uh, homosexual did not even show up in the Bible until I want to say it was 1956. I think it was 50, the 40s. 40s. Yeah. yeah, somewhere in it's there. It's the 20th century. Um, when it was a strongly, strongly worded letter uh, to the German uh biblical association as they were making a new translation of you will put this word in here otherwise all and it was funded spot. yeah exactly they, they put money to have like homophobia pushed which is wicked right. like, oh. that's so crazy. I, I don't even think it has to do with queerness at all i think it it's that matter of control it's which group can we use to leverage mm-hmm. to keep that who can control. we get the voters going who are we going to take advantage of to keep the money coming keep the votes coming also, Whatever you want to talk to about uh, translations, the King James Version was commissioned in part because King James had a boyfriend and there was a lot of people yeah. who were mad about it. And so he was performing his righteousness by uh, commissioning an official translation. This might and that's like- the one all the conspiracy theorists are like, this is the one that's inspired. I'm like, oh, the uh, national boyfriend atonement version. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's something that I definitely like struggle with the Bible as a whole. I'm not going to like denounce mm-hmm. a whole religious holy book yeah like the literal (laughs) bible but it's like it's the most translated book and and it was used as a political leverage like we just expressed like how am i supposed like which translation is correct i can't read hebrew i can't read greek or trust me it doesn't help (laughs) i went to theology school and it was so weird like (laughs) it was so wild taking all of these classes on how we got the canon and um, there was a, there was one point even in my Ellen White class where he's going through the requirements for the canon, and um, the only one that Ellen White's books are missing is the long continued acceptance by the church. Um, and so my question was: In four hundred years, is Ellen White's writings going to be canon? Um, and he hemmed and hawed all around it. But even even the other books of the Bible that like Enoch that aren't canon, just because we decided that they weren't. I think that that really goes back, though, like you're talking about, like, how do I know, like, who to listen to or what's right? Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, we were talking about, like, how history is not one single story. It's a bunch of stuff that happened. And then we apply narratives to it. And I think that, like, there's this line that you hear again and again. The Bible is clear on this. The Bible is clear. 
But like the reason we have purity culture, the reason we have like books on how to do it and YouTube channels being like, here's how to layer your tank top with your little <laughs> shrug or whatever, is because life happens outside of the things that are clear. Like mm -hmm. it is messy. How do you like interpret a thousands year old book and a conversation between different writers from different perspectives mm -hmm. and different, how do you take like a collection of like purity laws and poetry and narrative and letters and turn that into like, swimsuit shopping right. and like these texts belie their own claim the bible is clear because they have to go and fill in the gap and then have a chapter being like you can kiss but not with tongue because like the, i always thought that bible. was so weird like <laughs> this invisible line that they made up like again i'm not going to name drop i mean if they listen to it they listen to it if the shoe fits wear it but one <laughs> <laughs> of the person that i got my sex ed from like in high school mentioned it almost purity on like how close you can get to the line without stepping over it and how both feet can be like across that line and it was always weird because this teacher would always mention about like how much they could have been getting it but they chose not to <laughs> like, weird flex but okay yeah i know i was like in class and i was like slay queen <laughs> like, good for you good for mm. you yeah. but it's it just like I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's bizarre. <laughs> I, th I think Nadia Boltz-Weber has this beautiful concept in her book, Shameless, where she talks about the distinction between purity and holiness and how purity is about rules and about lines and about like these tests that no one can pass. Mm -hmm. And holiness is this really organic thing, like holiness punning on whole. Like holiness is collective action. Holiness is childbirth. Holiness is sexual union with someone who you like see the image of God in and love and take care of all these things. And like the thing about holiness is that you cannot regulate it or legislate it or make it happen it is something that is spontaneous and relational mm -hmm. and so because we cannot make rules around holiness we make rules about purity ideological purity bodily purity whatever instead mm -hmm. because the messiness and the uncontrollability of holiness the uncontrollability about human bodies and stories mm -hmm. scares us so we retreat into boxes and rules and purity because like it makes us feel safe. <laughs> Did we just condense like 500 years of history into an hour? That was incredible. It was reductive, <laughs> but hey, <laughs> it's a start. So it is time to wrap it up. Um, but the next one is going into where we go from here. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this oh, was what? a really good foundation. No to pressure. Where we came from. <laughs> um, solve purity culture in the next episode. Exactly. Yeah, all we had to do was tell you about history. You have to solve it. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, just. <laughs> Thank you so much for yeah. chatting. Thank you, you guys.